0: Well, we are in these weeks looking at the theme of redemption and looking especially at the 107th Psalm and what the 107th Psalm has to say about this act of God to free us from slavery and to release us into new life. This act of being set free and set free into that broad and open space that the Psalms describe. And there are four metaphors in this Psalm, this wonderful Psalm 107. We've looked at how redemption feels like getting water in the wilderness, of being redeemed from the, the dryness of the desert. We've looked at how redemption feels like being released from jail, how it's about moving from darkness of a dark, dank cell, and into the light of freedom and open space. And today we look at the way in which redemption feels like being healed from sickness. The psalmist speaks of that in verses 17 through 22, and I'd like to read both the introduction verses of the psalm, verses 1 through 3, and then also 17 through 22. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for God is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, those whom he redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Some were sick through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities endured affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, And he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. And let them offer thanksgiving sacrifices and tell of his deeds with songs of joy. Would you pray with me, please? You've created us for life, O God, and you put a new song in our mouths. Help us to hear that melody and to respond with faces uplifted to your light. And so receive the warmth and the light that we can radiate uh, to our world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the hymn that we just sang, There is a Balm in Gilead, it has that line in the refrain about healing the the sin-sick soul. And it it comes in, uh, the hymn is kind of written in response to a rhetorical question that Jeremiah asks in the 8th chapter of Jeremiah where he says, Is there no balm in Gilead? In other words, is there no healing for us? Is there no relief from this sickness that we have? And the hymn is answering Jeremiah's question and saying, yes, there is. There is hope. There is this balm in Gilead that can address the troubled soul of Israel. There is healing for the disease, if you will, of of human sin. And so the song and also Jeremiah's question assumes some sort of equation between sin and sickness, Sickness, I think, is an appropriate metaphor for what sin does to us. But it can also get us into some trouble if we misconstrue the connection between those two things of sin and and sickness. Because certainly throughout the history of spirituality, not just Christian spirituality or Jewish spirituality, but throughout the history of humans interacting with some sense of the divine, people have believed at times that sin is what causes all the disease. That all disease is a matter of spiritual deficit of some sort. It's not just us Christians who have done that with that idea, but pretty much all religions have an example of this, of the way in which The disease is an indicator of something bigger than itself and therefore to be dealt with morally and not necessarily medically. It's what you hear in some portions of the Christian church when you hear someone say maybe you're sick physically because you have unconfessed sin in your life. You know, it's like you better get at what's getting at you and then you'll get well. Well, sometimes there's not that reason present for our back Most of the time there's not that reason present for the disease in which we're dealing with. The disease, more often than not, is a matter of creation groaning and us dealing with the impact of living with imperfect bodies in an imperfect world that is run by imperfect people who often do things to the world that make us sick. <laughs> We aren't sick because we've done something wrong when it comes to physical disease. And the psalmist in Psalm 107 is not making that point. The point that the psalmist is making is more about sickness as a metaphor. To be lost in sin feels like being sick. It feels like having the energy sapped out of us. It feels like living life in a diminished state. It feels like an energy-sucking disease that we cannot shake. I remember when I was in my mid-20s, I had mononucleosis. That involves your liver. If you've ever had something that involves your liver, you know the worst of what, in some ways, sickness can do to you. It just drains all energy from you and you feel like not eating, you feel like not sleeping, you feel like, just you just feel like crap. <laughs> it's helpful for us in light of this, I think, to talk about what sin is. Because the scriptures say a lot about it. And the bottom line, if you want a succinct definition of human sin, the bottom line is that it's our our human choice to aim at the wrong thing. Literally, the word in Greek, sin, means missing the mark, it's an archery term. And if we're just to describe what human sin is, it's, it's missing the mark that will help us and hitting the thing that won't. It's that we're pointed in the wrong direction and therefore missing the point of something that could actually make our lives abundant. It's aiming for something other than, specifically, relationship with God. It's the decision to turn away from God and so miss the mark of what we were created for in the first place, which is relationship with God. It is to miss that mark by aiming at something that ultimately does not profit, that does not advance who and what God created us to be. And Paul says it well in the first chapter of Romans when he says that we exchanged the truth about God for the lie and we worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. We invested our life in what will not last and ignored the only one who makes life eternally worth living in relationship with him. Psalm 107 points to how being redeemed from this disorder of sin, what needs to happen is that one needs to make a basic diagnosis and then address that basic diagnosis by simply turning around. That's the treatment. Sin is an atmosphere. It's an atmosphere of a life without God. And to come out of it is to hear God inviting us back into the space where we can breathe clean air. The diagnosis is that we have turned away and the treatment is something called repentance. And repentance in both Hebrew and Greek, shuv in Hebrew, metanoia in Greek, just simply means turn around. Turn around, because God is right there following you. But you're too busy with something else to recognize his presence. Turn around and face the God from whom you are running. And there are two lines in this psalm that I want to call our attention to. To be in sin is to be in the place where The psalmist says that the food that is good for us actually feels loathsome to us. We reject it. Loathing any kind of food they drew near to the gates of death. And I I would put that in this way, that pursuing what we think is freedom actually becomes something that kills us. And then the psalmist talks about treatment. That's the diagnosis. He talks about treatment. For the disease, to be treated for the disease starts with hearing and turning around to see the source of the voice that's calling us. He sent out His Word and He healed them, says the psalmist, and delivered them from their destruction. You know, the Old Testament and the New Testament both speak of the Word of God as food. I think it's either Isaiah or Jeremiah, I can't remember which of the prophets and maybe it's both of them, use the phrase, I found your word and I ate it. It's used again in the book of Revelation. This whole notion of consuming the word is what sustains us, consuming the voice of God, not just hearing it. And by the way, in Hebrew, this is the thing I love about Hebrew, the word to hear is no different than the word to obey. Same word. I love that practicality of the fact that you can't say, Yes, I've heard, and do something different than what you've been asked to do. But is this whole sense of hearing that word in the Old Testament and eating it, mixed metaphor there? But also in the New Testament, Jesus and John's gospel, especially, is, is the place where we see this. Jesus calling himself the word and John calling him the word, the word who becomes flesh and dwells among us, who asks us to partake of his body and his blood. Take in that which will allow you to live the why you were created to live, the why that that God instilled in you, Start eating food that satisfies for eternity rather than gorging yourself on what will never satiate you. The whole image of of modern understanding of addiction, I think, is very helpful to us here. Because addiction or being dependent on some kind of controlled substance is often a matter of trying to feed an emptiness with something that won't feed it. It's ingesting, or injecting, or applying some substance that might cover hunger and pain, but never really feeds the hunger or alleviates completely the pain, and is actually doing just the opposite. It's actually killing us. And when we're addicted to a controlled substance or to a a particular behavior, that temporarily covers the need or the pain, that's all we want. We think there's nothing more important than that. If that's why it's so hard to live in the context of an environment where you're trying to relate to an addicted person, because an addicted person wants nothing more and nothing less than the substance to which he or she is addicted, and everyone else and everything else becomes a part of that objective. It's a singularity of focus that kills the addicted person and kills, in some ways, spiritually, everyone around him or her. And what's so terribly tragic about it all is that it's actually doing just the opposite of covering uh, the hunger and pain. It's actually killing us. When we're addicted to a controlled substance, or to that behavior that temporarily covers the need or pain, that's all we want. But it's blocking our awareness of what we truly want and what we actually need. I've mentioned before a Benedictine monk who was very influential in my life. I never met him. I only listened to his teachings on recordings that I acquired. His name was Father Gregory Elmer. He was a part of a... Benedictine community in Villermo, which is in the desert in Southern California. And Father Gregory said in one of his talks, he says, I am convinced that when we get to heaven, God will ask us the question that God has been asking humanity since the beginning of creation. And that is the question, what do you want? What do you want? We're created with a freedom to choose, a freedom to go after what we want and we can have what we go after. But sometimes getting what we want is not what we need. And when the wanting is about those kinds of things, it can be said that the only thing that's worse than not getting what we want is getting it and finding it wanting. (laughs) We're created free, but interestingly enough, we're also created to relate And that's where Augustine's words that I quote a lot really come in, that you made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So the question before us really this day and every day is what do we want? Do we want relationship with the one who created us for himself, or do we want the freedom, in quotation marks, of having nothing but ourselves? Some people think that's freedom, but it is actually a kind of bondage. We can have what we want, but here's the thing, and here's the good news, really, that even if we choose the latter, even if we choose that freedom of having no one but ourselves, God won't stop speaking. God won't stop pursuing. God won't stop offering the food that satisfies the food of his steadfast love. For our part, we need only to listen for his voice and turn around. And what we know when we do this is that we cannot flee from the presence of the Spirit of God. And what he has for us is true contentment that fosters a song of joy. And then there's nothing more to do than to settle into that place of offering God thanks. Let's pray. Let us thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. And let us offer thanksgiving sacrifices and tell of his deeds with songs of joy. That is our deepest desire, O God. Help us to live into it. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.